0: Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What a great celebration. Our scripture for today comes from the gospel of Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version, Luke 19, verses 28 through 40. After he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethlehem and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anybody asks you why you are untying it, just say this, As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. (laughs) Let us pray. (laughs) Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for being able to celebrate this Palm Sunday in your house, for being able to be here this morning to glorify your name and to hear your word. We thank you for the children and the joy that they bring to the service, Lord. For they celebrate, Lord, their faith every single time that they're here with us. We ask now, O Lord, as we proclaim this word, that you will give me your thoughts to be my own, that you'll speak to us according to your mercy and your grace, and that, O Lord, we will just leave here differently than we came in. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Today we arrive at Bethphage and Bethany, a place called the Mount of Olives. It was the last stop for Jesus and his disciples on their way into Jerusalem. We have to remember that the Gospels tell us that there is a point in Jesus' journey where he turns his face towards Jerusalem, and he begins that final journey to the holy city. It's like he knew that the time had come, and he begins that, that journey methodically to get to the holy city in time. For Passover. If you remember our scriptures from when Jesus was young, his family used to always go to Jerusalem on pilgrimage for Passover. It was a family tradition. Every time that the the season came, they would pack up, they would come, and they would spend time with relatives and friends and others in the holy city and celebrate all of the things that were celebrated at Passover, the cedar meal, all of these things. And so, the disciples were probably used to this because they've been with Jesus for three years, right? And so, they, it's not the first rodeo. They've been to Jerusalem with Jesus before. He's been to the holy city with them for Passover. But this time, it's, it's, it's a little different. You see, Jesus has been telling them along the way that this will be the last time that they'll do this together. He's been telling them that he has to go to the holy city in order to give himself up so that he will die and be killed and and be tortured and be be put on a cross to forgive the sins of the world. He's been trying to prepare them for what's going to happen. But we all know that no matter how much we try to prepare for somebody's passing, it's, it's hard, isn't it? Any of you experienced that? Somebody tried to prepare you for their passing, but it was still hard. My grandmother told us that this was her last year for the last 15 years of her life. And it was her way of preparing us for when she was no longer with us, and also to get her way, by the way. Because every year she would say, You know, mijito, this is the last year I'm with you, so I guess we have to go celebrate We have to go do something special because it's my last year. And this went on for 15 years. Jesus was telling them, no, no, I mean it. This is the last trip. This is the last time. I'm going there because God has a plan. And part of that plan involves me giving myself up for you. And we know that the disciples didn't like that plan, that they tried to talk Jesus out of it. They said, you know, can't we come up with plan B or C? We're great about that, aren't we? God gives us a plan, and we go, you know, what about plan B, C, or D that I've got that are so much better than the one you're giving me, right? My plan is easier, less painful. My plan might actually work. Yours, going to a cross, that doesn't sound very good. Let me give you plan B, C, or D. So I'm sure the disciples all along the trip had been trying to talk Jesus out of it. You know, if we just take a few weeks and think about it, we think you will come to your senses and not do this crazy thing. They had been trying and trying and trying. But as they got to Bethany and Bethage and they were at the Mount of Olives, Jesus says, it's here, we're here. It's time to go into the holy city. And the scripture says he sends two of his disciples into the village ahead of them, saying to them, when you go into the village, you're going to find a colt that is tied up that's never been ridden. Untie it, bring it to me. And if anybody stops you and asks you why you are untying the colt, you're to tell them the Lord needs it. You know, that's one of our favorite questions of all times. Why, God? Why? If they ask you why, here's what you're going to say. The Lord needs it. So often we ask the why. Why, Lord? Why does it have to be this way? Why does this have to happen? Why, Why are these things unfolding in my life? But we often don't get an answer to that. We just We just have to kind of trust that God knows what God is doing. We have to trust that there's a plan when circumstances are not what we want them to be or we expect them to be. When things are out of control or out of our control, we have to remember that they're still in God's hands and that God is still in control. But that's hard to do, isn't it? The scripture says that the disciples went to do exactly as Jesus told them to do. To go find that colt, to untie it, to bring it back. And it's it's interesting because you have to remember that there was probably a hundred different animals tied up on the street of that little village. How would they know which one it was? It was the one that was unwritten, so it didn't have a saddle on it. It was the one that was probably younger than some of the older horses that had been there for a while or animals that had been there for a while. And so this was how they were going to find it. This was how they were going to know which one it was. And the scripture says they were to go there, find it, untie it, bring it back. And if anybody asks them, the Lord needs it is the answer. That's the answer. So you can imagine the disciples walking to the village going, what are we going to tell them? We're going to tell them the Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. That's what we're going to say. When they try to arrest us for stealing this donkey, we're going to tell them the Lord needs it. That's going to be our answer. We're not going to change it. We're not going to add to it. We're not going to take away from it. We're just going to say exactly what Jesus told us. You know, that's hard for us to do too. We want to add to the answer. We want to change the answer just a little bit. You know, we want to make it our own. (laughs) Jesus said, no, you just tell them the Lord needs it. Nothing more, nothing less. So they went and they they found that colt, and they indeed began to untie it. And the scripture says that the owners showed up. (laughs) Whoops. Why are you untying the colt? They looked at each other and went, what what are we supposed to say? Yeah. The Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. Now we have to understand that the the word the Lord was with capital L. This was not little Lord. This was big Lord. This was the Lord. The King of Kings. The Lord of Lords. He needs it. Zechariah 9.9 had prophesied that this was going to happen. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You know, the significance of it being a colt cannot be understated. It was a king's right to ask anything from their subjects. Did you know that? A king could show up at your house and go, Kind of like your couch. I'm going to take your couch. It's mine now. King had that power because he was the king. This is why the people were encouraged to get godly kings. Because if they weren't godly, what was going to happen? They were going to let the power go to their head. and They were going to exploit the people. And so the kings had the right to demand anything they wanted from their subjects. And so Jesus is exercising in a kingly authority. You have a donkey, you have a colt that has never been ridden, you've never used it for what you intend to use it, but I'm going to borrow it, and I'm going to use it first. Can you imagine? Even in this moment, Jesus was bucking the system because he didn't ask for a big horse to ride into the city like a conquering king who had just won the war. He asked for a donkey, a humble animal, that was more of a symbol of peace, And to ride in this animal into the city to declare that the Messiah had come. Not as they expected, but as something totally different. What did they expect? Well, they expected a Messiah that would be a conquering king. One that was going to drive out the Romans. One that was going to come and victoriously wipe out their enemies. And instead, Jesus was signifying with this donkey that he was going to be a suffering servant a humble servant that was coming to give himself up as the perfect lamb of God. But Jesus had an authority that gave him the power to be able to demand and ask this. And for the owners of that donkey to just let it go. The Lord needs it. And the scripture does not tell us that they They ask any more questions. They don't tell us that they had any more concerns. The scripture simply says, and they brought him back to Jesus and put their cloaks over it and put Jesus on top of that donkey. You know, when your boss asks for something, you kind of listen up because it's the boss. The person asking the question matters, Because if they have the authority to ask an answer of you, then you will respond. Jesus was conveying through his disciples an authority that they didn't really know much about. But clearly it came through because they did exactly what they needed to do. When someone asks you a question, a lot of times what you want to say is, Who's asking? And what you're really asking is, do they have the authority to ask that question? Do they have the authority to question that in me? And Jesus was showing that he had authority. But you see, the people that were with Jesus already knew about his authority. The disciples had witnessed Jesus heal the the, the lame and make them walk, the blind to see. They had seen him multiply the food for the 5,000 And his closest disciples had even seen him walk on water. So for them, it wasn't a question of Jesus' authority, but for the rest of the world, it was. As he got on that donkey, even that donkey felt the authority of Jesus. Have you ever tried to ride a horse that's never been ridden or an animal that's never been ridden? Normally, what they do is they throw you right off because they're not used to having somebody on their back. Do we hear of Jesus getting thrown off? Nope. Even the donkey felt the authority of Jesus and allowed it to ride him into the city. And the scripture says that after they had put those clothes, they put Jesus on the animal, they began to form a path down into the city. Everybody throwing their cloaks. And in the other gospel, it tells us about the branches being cut off and people laying them down to form a path going into the city. It was like a parade. It was a celebration of who Jesus was. People began to come out of the woodwork to celebrate this Jesus. And the stories that were probably being told by the people in the crowd were numerous. People were coming in and going, who is this? Oh, that's Jesus. Oh, I heard this about him. I heard that about him. There were probably so many stories of Jesus going around that everybody had their own of something they had experienced or heard about with Jesus. And the disciples particularly just began to praise God and make a ruckus. I mean, they were just getting loud. Praising God for all the deeds of power that they had seen Jesus do. Because what? They showed his authority. They showed who he was. They showed that God was with him. Pharisees in the crowd didn't like all this. Loud celebration. They wanted to squelch it. They wanted to stop it. They wanted to end. And they told Jesus, hey, why don't you just tell them to tone it down a little bit? Bring the volume down. They're being too loud. They're being too obnoxious. They shouldn't be celebrating you like this. Do you, you do realize Jesus never asked for a parade going into the city. He never asked for anybody to praise and glorify God as he came in. This was spontaneous worship by the people. And there was no stopping it. Jesus said, you know, if I tell them to stop, the stones will cry out. There is no stopping this celebration. It reminded me of when the Braves won the World Series. Why? Because what happened when they arrived back in the city? We declared it a holiday, didn't we? Kids didn't go to school. People lined the streets so that they could ride in the middle of there and be celebrated. And everybody waved and everybody wanted to take the selfie with a player in the background. And we all wanted to see our, our champions, right? We wanted to celebrate them for their accomplishment And this is kind of what Jesus was experiencing. All the people lined up on both sides, forming this path, laying everything down for him so that they could celebrate Jesus as he came into the holy city. And you know, I bet you half the people there didn't even know what they were celebrating. They just saw the crowd celebrating and they, you know, we love a party. We'll just join in. You know, we're nosy like that. You see an accident on the other side of the road? Half the people on this side slow down just to see who it is because they somehow know everybody in the world and they know that that person's somebody they're going to know. We're, we're nosy like that. And I'm sure that there was people there celebrating going, what are we celebrating again? But they were celebrating Jesus. They were celebrating the deeds of power that God had done through him. They were celebrating what God was about to do even before they even knew what God was going to do. And here's the amazing part. Because this was the illustration I had, and God said, yeah, I got a better one. I can top that. God said, it's not really like a parade for a team that's already won the pennant and is carrying the trophy. It's more like a movie premiere. When the actors and actresses and producers are walking down the red carpet and everybody's celebrating their movie, Why is it more like that? Because the movie has already been filmed. The script has already been written. The actors have already played their parts. And we already know how the movie ends. You see, as Jesus is walking into Jerusalem, the people might not know it. But the script has already been written. God has already set this plan in motion from the beginning of time to save the world. And God has already victoriously defeated the enemy. And he knows that even on Friday as Jesus is crucified, God has already won. Because he's going to be raised from the dead in three days. No, I think it's kind of a spoiler alert because we know the end of the movie. We know how the story ends. But the people in the crowd there clearly did not understand what was going on. They cheered, they're celebrated, they celebrated, they feasted on that day. And as we know, several days later, that same crowd turned around and started saying crucify him. They had him killed on a cross, as we know, on Friday. And to everybody else, it might have seemed like the story was over. But God had a script. He had a plan that was still being carried out. Every time we come to Holy Week and we come to this Sunday, it is bittersweet. Because we are celebrating the triumphant entry into Jerusalem of Jesus as he prepares to die for our sins. And the only reason is we can call it triumphant is because we know that that's not the end of the story. We know that he will be raised again. And that is our faith. And that is our hope in Jesus Christ. Who's asking the question matters though. What is it that Jesus needs of you right now? What is it that he is demanding of your life right now? What is it that the King of kings and Lord of lords wants from you right now? Now, there was not no shortage of animals to ride into the city. But Jesus asked for a particular one because he had a plan and a purpose with that one. And I want to tell you that God has a plan and a purpose with each and every one of us. And that we need to be listening to what it is that the King of Kings is asking of us. Because we have a part to play in his plan. But we don't always get it at the moment. In the fall, my air conditioner in my car went out. And I was coming back from Conyers, from being at a district committee of ordained ministry. All day long meeting, I was really happy as I drove back home and Traffic and my air would, had quit. And I did what all of us do when something that we don't want happens. Started fussing at the Lord. Lord, I'm serving you. I'm in your meeting for ministry. And my air went out. How could you? How could this happen to me? I know this, you never do this, but I do this all the time. And I fussed at the Lord and I, you know... And I went through the whole winter with my air off because it was cooler, so I didn't need to worry about it. As I was driving to church a little bit over a week ago, the Lord said, Now. It's like, Now? Yeah, now. Go get your air conditioner fixed now. Lord, this is the, the week before Holy Week. I can't be without a car. I got too much to do now. I turned into my mechanic and dropped off my car. Then my wife fussed at me. What are you doing? This is not the week to be doing this. It's Holy Week next week. I've got work. We've got so much to Said, The Lord said, now. I went in the next day to pick up my car, and the owner of the mechanic shop was laying passed out in the middle of the office. And I knew something was wrong. He wasn't well. And that's when I first understood that it was never about my air conditioner getting fixed. It was about me praying for that man, for his health, for what was going on with him. I went home, told my wife, we came the next day to pick up the car that was finished. Another mechanic had finished it. And we brought the owner outside. We lay hands on him and we prayed. He'd lost his father in December. He'd had a stroke. And he's in, he was just in bad shape. And it was never about my air conditioner getting fixed. But it had to break down in the fall so that I would have a broken car to take to the mechanic so that I could be at the right place to pray for somebody that needed a prayer right then. And I don't say that to pat myself in the back. I say that shamefully because I moaned for months because I didn't understand the great plan of what God was doing and what God wanted to do with my circumstance. And so when I say, what is the king asking of you, I mean it. I mean, what is God really asking you to do? Where is he asking you to be? Who is it that God wants you to interact with or pray for or intercede for in your life? What is it that God has in your path that you need to be attentive to? Because somebody needs to experience the grace of God through you. They need to experience Jesus through you. They need to know about the life that God brings in Jesus Christ through you. There are so many times that we don't understand why things happen. And we could spend hours and hours moaning to God and complaining to God about the whys of why things happen. But instead, I think our time would be better spent asking, Lord, how can you be glorified? in this situation, whatever that situation might be. How can you use me to bless somebody else? And what will you have me do? I'm here, Lord, ready to lay my life down as you laid your life down for all of us. I pray that we are attentive to the voice of God when he says, now, now, now. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, because the story about Palm Sunday is more than about just a donkey or a ride into the city. It is about an invitation, Lord, that you make to each and every one of us to untangle ourselves, to untie ourselves from our business and our schedules and our things to be able to serve you and to do what you call us to do. We ask, O Lord, on this day that you will help us to be attentive to your voice, to your call, to whatever it is that you are leading us to, Lord. Use us, Lord, as your vehicles, Lord, that others might know Jesus. Help us to bring you into other people's lives, Lord. Help us like that donkey helped you, Lord, to just usher you in so that you may do what you need to do in people's lives. We thank you, Lord, that you are the bringer of life that you are the bringer of peace, that you are the one who gives us hope in our hopelessness, that, Lord, even today, as we know what will happen this week for you, we celebrate your love and your grace. Help us, Lord, on this day to be more consecrated to you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. The altar is always open if you'd like to pray. If you want to play, pray by yourself, you can come to the reserve spot on the right. If you come to the rest of the altar, somebody in our prayer team will be glad to pray for you. But let us pray today. Let us just go to the Lord as we continue to worship and just tell him, Here I am, Lord. Send me.